Last week I did the thing none of us should do and started chasing connections on social media. Who do I know and are they following other people I know? Only that led to accidentally realizing that a good friend followed some influencers who are in a faith and political space that is really very different than my own. And the person is really dear to me. And I found myself confused. Just not that we were different, but what do you do next? What do you do when you start to realize that there might be a growing relational rift over faith interpretation, whether it's about how to read the Bible or what it means to follow Jesus in the world today? Now, Paul, of course, did not have social media. Oh, thank goodness. Can you imagine Paul on Twitter? But he did experience the relational rift that can come from different faith interpretations. And he was writing to communities that were often trying to navigate this as well. We're going to dive in today to Romans 11 and see how an image of an olive tree, as well as a single story of someone who did indeed change their mind, can help us when we find ourselves facing down the tension that comes from being far from a friend, but wishing you could both be following Jesus side by side. Before we dive into Romans 11, some background. The climate around Israel, it's really similar to Southern California. Now, if you don't live in either of those places, that means hot and dry, and that in both places, olive trees grow well. It happens I'm terribly allergic to olive tree pollen, so I don't love this. But what would happen at times is a farmer would have a fruiting olive tree and find a wild one. Wild olive trees don't fruit, but their root system and base is much stronger. So the farmer would graft the fruiting tree into the base of the wild tree, and the combination was even better than the fruiting tree alone. Paul's going to draw upon this image, but actually reverse it on purpose, saying that wild branches, Gentiles, have been grafted in by God to a fruiting tree, Israel. Here's Romans 11, verses 17 to 24. Take another illustration, Paul writes. If the root is holy, that's Jesus, so are the branches, those people who trust Jesus. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive tree, you Gentiles, were grafted in among them and came to share in the root of the olive tree with its rich sap. Don't boast over the branches. I want you to hold on to that phrase. Don't boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember this, it isn't you that supports the root, but the root that supports you. I know what you'll say next. Branches were broken off so I could be grafted in. That is that the Gentiles might brag about Jews that aren't trusting, but they've got it right. And Paul goes on, that's all very well. They were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand firm by faith. Don't get big ideas about it. Instead, be afraid. After all, if God didn't spare the natural branches, God certainly won't spare you. Note carefully then that God is both kind and severe. God is severe to those who've fallen, but kind to you, provided you continue in the kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off and They too, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted back in. God is able, you see, to graft them back in. For if you were cut out of what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated one, how much more will they, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? First, just to summarize what Paul's meaning with this image. Jesus is the root from which the branches receive their life. The natural branches are the Jewish people, the people of God, from whom Jesus was born, genetically speaking. He is part of the Jewish tree. The wild branches are the Gentiles who've been grafted in because of their trust in Jesus and now become part of this people of God tree. 
Paul makes clear that this is all done on the basis of faith. The branches broken off are the ones who don't trust Jesus and therefore are no longer part of God's people. The branches grafted in are those who have put their trust in Jesus and find themselves included in this worldwide family of God, inheriting the promises that have been made to the original branches, Israel. Now, we've said along the way that one reason we are taking the time to walk through Romans is that reading it poorly has created some large-scale challenges for Western Christianity for a very long time. And one way this comes up is by thinking that Paul is laying out criteria for who's in and who, as Heidi Klum used to say on Project Runway, is out. And many traditions focus that criteria on just right doctrine or having gone through certain specific rituals, prayed the prayer, been baptized, and so on. We're trying together to bring fresh eyes and open hearts to this very complicated letter and see what comes up. This olive tree image is a helpful one because Paul is not laying out theological criteria for in and out, branches on, branches cut off. It's all personal. It's personal. The person of Jesus bringing real people together in a family. And it's relational. Paul is more interested in how Jesus has done the miraculous to bring Gentiles into the family to enjoy freedom in life and concerned about the sadness of Jews who are missing out. Not out for the lack of just right belief, not out because they don't do certain rituals, but missing out on Jesus, their Messiah, and the family that is being formed through him. But... Grace grafted the Gentiles in, and grace can regraft any Jew. God's kind. And Paul warns the tree is the trust Jesus tree that creates the family of God. It's not the my ethnic identity tree. It is not the I once made this choice years ago tree. So all the warnings to remain, they boil down to choosing Jesus. That's the charge. Choose Jesus over and over again. Choose the way of Jesus even when it makes you seem like a chump or a fool. Now, for us in a time where everyone is really certain that they know who is a branch cut off, so to speak, it's helpful for us to remember Paul's warning. Don't boast over branches. We don't boast over branches. We don't get so sure that we're right and caught up in that rightness. Instead, we stay connected to the person of Jesus. But then we also do hold this tension that we don't back away. We don't boast over branches, but we don't back away from following Jesus in tangible, practical, everyday ways that may not be what others agree with or how they think it should be done. And again, this is where it's really helpful to recognize that Paul is not focused most of all on being right. Being right is not what determines who stays and who gets cut off. Not really. Jesus is, the shared love for and trust in Jesus. It's the root of everything. And that matters because as we are at times caught up in relational tensions about ideas and policies and politics, things that matter, it can be really easy to get so caught up in being right because beneath that, we're afraid of being wrong. Because if we are wrong, we might be out. And Jesus is bigger than that. And grace is bigger than that. Big enough to allow us to navigate relational tension about the expressions of our faith without being so afraid of being wrong that we inevitably do what lots of people do when they feel afraid of wrongness. They cling to rightness at the expense of the relationship. We don't need to do that because of the immense grace of Christ. Now, there's a story in Galatians 2 
about how all of this worked for Paul and Peter over how following Jesus impacted who you ate with. Meals, tangible, practical, ordinary, but so important. We drop in on the story of Paul confronting Peter. In fact, he says he opposed Peter to his face. Why? Because Peter flip-flopped on eating with Gentiles. He had been doing it, but then he stopped, returning to the original Jewish sensibility that you don't take meals together. And to Paul, this is not, some Christians disagree about this. Instead, it's, Jesus made us a family and you're acting in a way that is unacceptable for family members. If we, the family of God, thinks Paul, are a grafted tree together, our meals are good fruit. The family eats together. And by eating together, we proclaim the character of the God that has brought us to the table. So Paul flips the script and calls Peter out by saying he's living like a Gentile meaning he's living like he doesn't belong to the family of God, like he's a cut-off branch. What we see in the story is the interconnected, relational rift over biblical interpretation. It's a question of how to read scripture well, to know what to do about this Jews and Gentiles sharing meals thing. Then there's the relational fallout that comes when Peter takes one course of action, convinced he's right. After all, Paul notes that others went along with Peter. He must have been sure of it, talking about it, persuading others with him. And we're all inclined to do that about things from time to time, aren't we? Meanwhile, Paul strongly believes he's right, that eating together is a must if we really are a family through Christ Jesus. Because we're free, and this meal is one way we practice that freedom. Now, the particulars will be different for you and I, but I know even from these last couple weeks in conversation together as a church— that you've likely experienced some sort of relational rift over biblical interpretation. There is some sort of relational tension you face because someone you care about thinks that following Jesus looks very different than you do. I'm not talking about two professors quibbling over Greek grammar. I'm talking about two dear friends united in love for Jesus suddenly looking at each other and saying, I don't know how any Christian can do that, can think that, can say that. And it's about knowing that that other person may feel the same way about you. But what Paul did, because this is all relational, because relational was more important than rightness, Paul had a conversation. We don't know the particulars of it. But when Paul says to his face, it means not in a letter, but in a conversation. And Peter came back. In Acts 15, the church is trying to figure out if Gentiles need to be circumcised and become Jewish in order to join this new Jesus-centered community. And Peter's the one who stands up to say no. This is Acts 15, 8 to 11. He says, God who knows the heart showed that God accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, the Gentiles, just as God did to us, the Jews. God did not discriminate between us Jews and them Gentiles, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. He argues that they are one family. The way to move through relational rifts is to note Paul's words that Jesus is the root and we remain in him. It's also to be careful that we don't boast over branches, focusing on rightness and being sure that we're in and we know who's out. And then it's to choose conversation, 
not confrontation or conflict. At least those aren't the goal, and we're certainly not hoping that things end up there. Realistically, we know that our current divisions can quickly devolve into a finger-pointing death loop, each side stuck apart. But what we try to do is choose conversation. And then we take heart from Peter. People sometimes change. As we stay rooted in Jesus, as we practice not boasting over branches, as we engage in conversation, it just might be that change happens. Now, of course, what I expect is that that means that other people come and change to be more like me. But actually, the same thing practices might just lead us to sometimes change too. And we can trust where God will lead us if we're the ones on the changing side. And so either way, we take heart from Peter, who listened for God's leading and changed. When we were together live, we took some time for reflection on our own stories in a practice that I'd invite you to do as well. You might find that a paper and pencil is helpful for this too. First, I'd invite you to make a list of areas where your faith, your belief, your reading of the Bible has changed over time. What are some things that you used to think or believe or what are some ways you used to understand certain things about our faith and now you're not so sure or you've changed your mind? Just list all of those out. Second, pick one and push rewind on your story. How did you begin to make that change? What was the process like? Did you meet people that influenced you? Did you read or listen to something that shaped you? How long did it take? How gradual was it? Anytime our faith shifts, there's a story. And what we hope is that this simple practice of noticing the story of your change could be one tool that equips you for the conversations that might lie ahead of you in the days or weeks ahead. Because instead of focusing on what I think and why I'm sure I'm right, I could tell my story and I could invite them to tell me theirs. Story gets us further in conversation than debate about ideas ever can. And so as you have time in the next little while, maybe continue on looking at your list of ways that you have changed your mind and then rewinding through the story of how that happened, making some bullet points about the events that marked that for you. So that the next time you have the opportunity for conversation, you can humbly and kindly offer your story and see what the Spirit of God might do between you and those you love. And so Pomona Valley Church, may you be blessed with hope for the quality of conversations that can happen as you tell your story and listen to others. May you be blessed with peace as you stay connected to the root who is Jesus. May you be blessed with humility to not boast about branches or be concerned with rightness. May you be blessed with love, your own belovedness and the love you can share with others in the name of our triune God and for their glory. Amen.